Hello everyone and welcome to Behind the Ball, a show dedicated to talking all about the beautiful game of football. On today's episode we're talking all about the big news of the past two weeks. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United won their seventh straight game since he took temporary charge. I'll discuss whether he should now be considered a front-runner for the job. After Chelsea's loss to Arsenal, Maurizio Sarri openly criticised his players. I'll ask if it is ever okay to do that. Arsenal are having a season of transition, with head of recruitment Sven Mislintat leaving this week and Aaron Ramsey having signed a pre-contract agreement with Juventus, it's set to be all change ahead. Tottenham have lost Harry Kane to injury till the beginning of March. What impact will this have? And what are their options for possible replacements? Could they do the unthinkable and dip into the transfer market? David Wagner left Huddersfield and has been replaced with Martin from Wakefield. I'm just kidding, of course. If you haven't heard about that, I'll explain it later. The new man is Dortmund under-23s coach Jan Sievert. Liverpool and Manchester City continue to win games. Who is favourite for the title now? And the Spygate scandal. I'll give my thoughts. If you don't agree with anything I say over the next 30 minutes or so, which is probably pretty likely, you can get involved in the conversation on the Behind the Ball Twitter account. You can find it under at behind underscore the underscore ball. I'll also post a link to our Twitter handle in the description when every podcast goes live. So without further ado, roll those titles. Welcome to Behind the Ball, the podcast discussing the beautiful game. Hello, everyone. Well, let's start with United. You know, when Jose Mourinho left, I think the club was probably as low as it could get. You know, morale amongst the players and supporters, let's be honest, was at an all-time low. You know, many people, though, including myself, thought that they could get any manager in and they would have uh, an immediate impact and could give everyone a lift because it had become so toxic under Mourinho. You know, he kind of sucked the life out of the club. And honestly, it was just desperate to watch towards the end of his tenure. So anyway, in comes club legend Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, and after having a disastrous spell in the Premier League with Cardiff City that ultimately ended in relegation... To me, this appointment didn't, it didn't fill me with great expectation. You know, in the seven games he has won, six of those wins have come against Cardiff, Huddersfield, Bournemouth, Newcastle and Brighton, all teams in the bottom half of the Premier League. They've also beaten Reading in the FA Cup. You know, the one game they won, which I think gives a real compelling argument, you know, for his permanent appointment is the win at Tottenham. You know, to go away from home to a team that is so well managed... And has such good players, you know, and let's not forget Spurs still in the running for four competitions. You know, that was an excellent win. Take away the feel good factor of having a manager who is not draining the life out of you. This actually was a tactical masterclass, especially in the first half. Tottenham play with their fullbacks high up the pitch. You know, their aim is to push back opposing fullbacks and to help overload in the attacking third, you know, allowing players like Harry Kane and Son and Ali and Eriksen to just have more space. You know, Solskjaer identified this and had pace and forward runners wide with Rashford and Martial. And with the quality of Pogba, who is 
shown such resurgence under the management of Solskjaer, he has the ability to find those long diagonal balls. And they were able to get a goal based on these very tactics. You know, granted in the second half, I'm sure many of you watched it, they were under severe pressure and obviously owe a lot to the brilliance of David De Gea for helping them win the game. But as Solskjaer said in his post-match press conference, there's nothing wrong with having a good goalkeeper. What it did tell Solskjaer, and I'm sure he learned this and I'm sure he probably knew it already, is that there are still uh, things that need to be improved. Uh, they definitely still need some uh, defenders and they probably need a, a, a right fullback as well. So has he done enough to be considered for the role? I think it's important to not get too carried away with the results. But that being said, you know, he clearly has had a positive effect around uh, the club. You know, players like Paul Pogba, who has such a massive influence in the dressing room. You know, he said, uh, quote for quote, it's a pleasure to play again. Now I'm always smiling. I was in the shadows. You know, the Premier League's top paid player, Alexi Sanchez, who has, let's be honest, had a nightmare since he joined Manchester United, said, we are happier than we were before. I still feel more has to be done if he is to be ahead of Pochettino, you know, as the favourite for the role. You know, but with games to come against Arsenal in the FA Cup, which, let's be honest, is their best chance of silverware, and huge games against PSG in the Champions League and Liverpool in the league before the end of February. You know, if he can win those games, he may just put himself at the front of the queue. One thing he does have in his favour is if he continues to win games and progress in, in competitions and get back into the top four, the amount of fans that are going to push for his permanent appointment might be something that Ed Woodward and the board find hard to resist. But the job is simple for him. He just needs to keep winning. And if he does that, for sure, he'll be at the head of the queue. Now, moving on to Maurizio Sarri, he has openly criticised his players after the loss to Arsenal. He said that they are extremely difficult to motivate. Ouch. This is not a team known for its battling qualities. He said players at this level can't be afraid to face up to their responsibilities. So, harsh or fair? Well, I watched the game and he also referenced the loss to Tottenham where they lost 3-1. And in both matches, they looked like a team short on confidence. Tactically, they were exposed and easy to get at. Jorginho is a tidy little player, but he was targeted and overran in midfield far too many times. Is he the player that should be in that position? I'm honestly not so sure. 2,000 odd passes this season, not a single assist. He was bought to be the playmaker. Not a single assist. It has to be better than that. But at the end of the day, Sari is the manager and he can criticise the players. But at the end of the day, he is there to motivate them. He's there to prepare them tactically and mentally. Fair enough, has criticised a very poor performance. But some of the blame has to fall at his door. You know, I'm a strong believer in win together, lose together. There is no such thing as an innocent party at a football club. Everyone has a role to play. It's a collective. And I've mentioned many times on this podcast that Jorginho should not be playing in that defensive midfield role. You know, when you have N'Golo Kante in this team, he was the defensive linchpin for league winning sides Leicester and Chelsea. He's a top, top player. Probably the best player to ever play the position since Claude Makaleli. 
he's also playing Eden Hazard out of position as a number nine with his back to goal. This may well change with the imminent acquisition of Higuain, but it's a fact this has been happening for weeks and months. To defend Sari though, players at Chelsea, they do have a history of downing tools under managers, you know, when they start to crack the whip. Mourinho, the number one example, but it also happened under Antonio Conte. So I do understand to an extent the argument of Sari, but I just think you have to say those things behind closed doors, you know, bringing it to the attention of the media, the public eye, it can completely break players' confidence in the manager and also themselves. And I genuinely think you're giving players a reason to fail. You're giving them an excuse. And they'll take it if they want to get rid of the manager. I did read this morning, though, that he has had clear-the-air crisis talks uh, with his players. You know, And I'm not a football manager. Never will be. You know, I'd be awful. But I think open and pretty honest discussions are required uh, to move forward. Results will have to pick up again, though, because if they don't, you know, Roman Abramovich has never been one for patience. And as much as Chelsea fans may disagree with this and may argue with me, you know, this is a club that's built on short termism. You know, it's their model for success. It works. So if he doesn't help the team get better, then I am pretty sure Sarri will be out the door at the end of the season. So Arsenal... They've been in the news this week. Uh, They had gone 22 games unbeaten. I think we forget that. But they are now kind of beginning to show the lack of consistency expected from them uh, going into the season. You know, and this is a transitional year, without question. Over the last five games, you know, alone, they've lost 5-1 at Liverpool and 1-0 at West Ham, but just beaten Chelsea 2-0 with a brilliant performance. Emery is learning his squad. He's identifying the players he wants moving forward. You know, he's allowed Aaron Ramsey to move on, you know, after his wage demands were too high. You know, he's basically left Ozil out in the cold. Um, I said on a previous podcast that I thought he may be testing him, but now I, I genuinely just think he wants to get rid of him. He has a huge talent, by the way, in Reese Nelson on loan at Hoffenheim, and he'll come back to make Arsenal so much stronger next season. It's all changed in the boardroom too, you know, after head of recruitment Sven Mislintat left the club this week. Uh, the man linked to replace him actually has previously worked with Emery at Sevilla. His name is Ramon Rodriguez Verdejo. Um, sorry for the uh, accent, that was terrible. Um, but he's also known as Monchi. Um, at the root of it all though, I'll be honest, Arsenal just need to find finances because Emery himself uh, has stated in the media that They can only afford loans during this window. And let's be honest, long-term improvement can't be made if they don't sign anyone or invest in the academy. There is obvious positions which need to be strengthened. And, you know, they are miles behind Liverpool, Manchester City and Tottenham. Denis Suarez and James Rodriguez have been linked, so we'll see what happens. But that race for the top four is going to be a very, very close one indeed. Now, on to Tottenham. The team I convinced myself, uh, not you guys though, I'm sure, uh, that they were in the title race for so long. Um, and they've just lost their talisman, uh, Harry Kane, for six weeks. Uh, and in that time, they play a semi-final second leg against Chelsea. Uh, they have two huge games in the Champions League against Borussia Dortmund. Um, not to mention six league matches and uh, a game against their North London rivals, Arsenal, on March the 2nd. Uh, Just to give some substance to you guys about how important Harry Kane actually is to this Tottenham side, uh, and I'm sure on the face of it you see it, 
but statistically, you know, he has scored a league high 119 goals under Pochettino's reign. Uh, that's 36% with the team's total at 333 goals in that time. You know, he's their leading goal scorer. He's third in their list for assists. Uh, he has two players in one. He's a number 10 and a number nine. Just in his general play, he contributes so much to the way they move forward through the pitch. And he also scores bucket loads of goals. He's going to be a huge miss. You know, in their first game without him, they went to Fulham with Fernando Llorente replacing him in the team. Um, he did score, but it was uh, an own goal, um, which was pretty funny. Uh, there actually was a really good tweet by the official Fantasy Premier League account um, showing Harry Kane on zero points and Fernando Llorente on minus one. Um, yeah, uh, he's so good. He even outscores Llorente sitting on the sofa. Uh, with Deli Alley also getting injured in the win over Fulham and also expected to be out until March, you know they are actually really struggling for players at the top end of the pitch. You know, Sun is expected to take South Korea all the way to the Asia Cup. So let's be honest, he's probably going to be missing for at least another couple of weeks. Will they dip into the transfer market? You know, with the new stadium costs, it seems unlikely, but there's still been links to certain players in the in the media. You know, Arnautovic uh, is an option as he can play around Kane when he returns, but the 50 million price tag uh, is just way too much for a 29-year-old with, let's be honest, little to no sell-on value after his contract would expire. Uh, one more intriguing one that could well happen is Malcolm from Barcelona. Um, he's another player linked uh, and actually could get him for a decent price because with him getting little to no game time since his move to Barcelona in the summer, his value has definitely uh, gone down. Now, I think we all rate Pochettino, and I know many of you listening to this will also think Pochettino is a fantastic manager. But the next few weeks uh, without three of his best players will really, really give an indication of his management skills. You know, I don't think they'll have massive problems. I think they'll be OK. But let's be honest, my Spurs predictions have not been good. So maybe I'm not the best judge. Uh, one thing is for sure, though, I mean, it pretty much couldn't have come uh, at a worse time. So the big managerial news of the past couple of weeks, well, for me, it was Martin O'Neill getting the job at Nottingham Forest, but I'm sure none of you are interested in that. So I will talk about David Wagner leaving Huddersfield Town, and he did an incredible job. No, no question. They reached the Premier League via the playoffs. They won two penalty shootouts in those games, not scoring a single goal in open play. It was an absolute miracle that they got to the Premier League, let alone survive their first season. You know, when he took over the club, they were mid-table in the championship. He did a brilliant job at a club which hadn't been in the top flight of English football since 1972. Yep, you heard that right. Not been in the top flight of English football since 1972. Uh, and he absolutely leaves Huddersfield with his head held high and a club legend without doubt. The new man in charge, by the way, is not Martin from Wakefield, as I mentioned in the intro. Uh, if you haven't seen the story, uh, essentially a Sky Sports journalist uh, was sent into the crowd at the game against Manchester City to basically talk to him. Um, but it didn't turn out to be him. It turned out to be a, a doppelganger, a lookalike. Uh, and it, I'll be honest, it was pretty funny, but also kind of embarrassing for Sky and definitely for the journalist involved. 
but I, I say in that, I must admit, it does look very much like him. You know, same beard, same hairline, uh, very similar facial features. Uh, just the image, though, of his face just being like looking at the journalist. It's just dumbfounded by the fact he thought he might actually be the new manager of Huddersfield Town. Uh, it was quite funny. The club, when they appointed the new manager, they did a mock video of him sitting in the new manager's chair. Uh, even wearing uh, an official club sweatshirt emblazoned with MFW, at Martin from Wakefield. And then the actual new manager came in, removing him from his chair. Uh, it was pretty funny, actually, from Huddersfield's media department. Um, I've retweeted it, so if you haven't seen it, check it out on the official at Behind the Ball uh, Twitter account. You can have a look. Let's hope I get this pronunciation right, but Jan Sievert is the new man. Uh, he, a little bit of information about him, guys. Uh, he was the under-23s coach at Borussia Dortmund. Um, so follows in the footsteps of David Wagner, he also being in that role before taking the job. But Huddersfield, uh, a little bit of history. His only other management role came at German fourth-tier club Rottweiss Essen. hope I pronounced that right. Uh, and was also assistant manager at Bochum, currently in the second tier of German football. So without question, I mean, this is a huge, huge step up to be managing in the Premier League. But I'm actually impressed by this Huddersfield appointment because it would have been so easy for the club to go for a manager like Sam Allardyce, for example, who is well renowned for getting clubs uh, out of relegation trouble. But they've taken a bit of a risk. They've gone for an appointment where the manager probably has a very similar outlook, a similar style to the outgoing manager and David Wagner having come from the same background you know it's a very smart appointment it's good to see a team that is trying to create an identity around their club and they may well get relegated and they probably will but at least they're looking at the long term the longevity you know they've got a manager coming in who is going to fit the principles of the one that just left one thing I will say though is I, I really hope it works out because I watched their game against Manchester City at the weekend and the club and the fans are an absolute credit to the Premier League. They didn't stop singing all the way through the defeat to Manchester City and I'm telling you now, I couldn't say that of the club I support, Nottingham Forest. Uh, they are an uh, incredible set of fans and um, I have a lot of admiration for them, for sure. Now, the title race continues to heat up. Uh, Manchester City are impressing after their Pretty shocking Christmas period where they lost to Crystal Palace and Leicester City. But they have now scored 22 goals. Yeah, that's right. 22 goals in their last four games. You know, and that's a first since Liverpool did it in 1980. Um, Leroy Sané and Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling are all firing now. Kevin De Bruyne is also back starting games again. You know, their best player. As for Liverpool, they are showing a different side to themselves. You know, let's be honest, they took a pretty big hit by losing to Manchester City, especially in the way they lost, having probably been the better side and then having lost to Wolves in the FA Cup. And what followed those two defeats was a very, very, very tough game away at Brighton. But they showed a different side to themselves. You know, it was a hard fought and professional performance. And if you are going to be champions, you can't just blow teams away every week like Liverpool have been doing. You know, you have to win in different ways. In the three up front, they have incredible speed, power, technical ability and goals. In Mo Salah, they have a player who can just pop up with a goal out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, this weekend, actually, he reached 50 Premier League goals after 72 appearances. You know, only Premier League legends Andy Cole, Alan Shearer and Ruud van Nistelrooy have done it quicker. It's four points and looking like it's going all the way. And I think you guys know what I'm probably going to say here. 
but I am actually still sticking with Manchester City for the title that I mentioned. Look, Gabriel Jesus, his comeback to form is very important because they were relying heavily on the goals of Sergio Aguero, especially in the big games. Kevin De Bruyne is going to be such a huge, huge influence on this team. He's just coming back into the side. He is still not at 100%. There was a few misplaced passes against Huddersfield, but you can't question his talent and his ability. And when he gets up to full speed alongside Fernandinho and David Silva, they're just going to be pretty impressive. So I'm sticking with Manchester City. But I, I will admit, I will admit, doubts are starting to creep into my mind because there's no doubt Liverpool have been unbelievable this season. Unbelievable. Now, for Spygate. I'll be honest with you. When I heard about a man in the bushes looking at Derby County players at their training ground, taking notes, I found it quite funny, uh, to be honest. But I do understand the frustrations of Frank Lampard and all of those at Derby. But I actually think it's been blown out of all proportion. All the information the man in the bushes really would have learned is probably already known to Bielsa. Because... That is information you can gather quite easily you, by watching previous games. Okay, there might be slight tactical changes you can pick up on, but players win games at the end of the day, not formations. And Bielsa did come out and say in that quite bizarre uh, but unbelievable press conference, great for um, media coverage, he basically said that he sent the man to reaffirm the information that he had already amassed, you know, essentially learning nothing new. If it were that big a deal then Leeds would have beaten every team in the league. And that obviously is not the case, you know. Apparently he's had someone, as he admitted, uh, in the bushes for every team that they have played. Uh, but my team, Nottingham Forest, took four points off Leeds this season. Sorry, I had to name drop us. So it didn't work on that occasion, did it? You know, and I, I see on a number of different football panel shows, you know, certain pundits and members of the media have called for the result between Derby and Leeds to be reversed. You know, for point deductions, for massive fines. And I honestly just think that's a little bit of a joke. You know, a slap on the wrist and a telling off are absolutely fine in this situation. If the EFL make it clear that from this point that it's no longer acceptable, then it won't happen. And if it does, appropriate action should be taken. That's all the EFL have to do. 11 clubs in the championship have written to complain. Yet 12 haven't. So I think it just needs to be put to bed. Leaks will always come out of football clubs, either through players uh, or the media. It's happened for years and years and years. Just look at the World Cup when newspaper uh, journalists made their photographers, you know, zoom in on uh, England team sheets and so on and so on. It's going to happen. It's just the way of the world. We're just inquisitive and nosy and teams will get out. Information will get out. Players win you games, not formations. If clubs really want people like the man in the bushes, the infamous man in the bushes that Leeds sent, if they want them to stay out really that badly, then plant some tall trees and have more security. Uh, and that about sums it up for today, guys. You know, I apologise I actually haven't posted a podcast for a couple of weeks, um, but I have actually been recovering from a pretty badly sprained ankle uh, where I've had to pretty much lie down and rest uh, for about 23 out of 24 hours a day. Um, so it has absolutely been awful um, and it's obviously made recording very, very difficult. But uh, on the men now, so uh, hopefully more podcasts to come. Uh, so apologies again, but I will 
get back on it. If you ever do, by the way, want to get involved in the conversation, you can follow the official Twitter account, which can be found under at behind underscore the underscore ball. And remember, it's not easy for me to say, but easy for you guys to type. I also want to pass on my thoughts and prayers to the family of Emiliano Sala, who was involved in a plane crash today or this morning uh, on his way to his brand new club, Cardiff City. There has been no confirmation as yet, so I uh, sincerely hope that all three people on the plane are found safe. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and you'll be hearing me next time on Behind the Ball.